Yes people, how are we all doing? I hope we're doing well. Welcome back to Process, a podcast with myself, Brendan Pearson. So today's episode is another guest episode. We are joined by Mr. Carl Bell. So Carl is a physio based in Gosforth at Functional Intelligent Training. So he helped me with a few injuries down the line, but Carl actually used to be a goalkeeper for Newcastle United as well. So he was there from a young age. He got scouted and bought from Carlisle when he was 13 years old. Went full-time, but suffered a lot with different injuries. So we talk about his journey through football, almost losing the enjoyment for football when it started to get really serious and also when he started to pick up injuries. So we discuss all that and obviously his time at Newcastle United. And then we move on to talk about him leaving Newcastle, what he did afterwards. He actually joined the Marines for a little bit and then also went down the route of physiotherapy and how that kind of came about. We talk a lot about the the mental side of football, especially being being a young athlete and kind of the ups and downs, the highs and lows of football and how it can be really hard to deal with injury and how a lot more needs to be done for young athletes dealing with the mental side of injury, of poor form and everything else and also coming out of the game and everything that comes along with that. And then we obviously finally, finally touch on a bit about physio and strength and condition for young athletes and how important it is to invest in your career at a young age. But it's a great episode, definitely one worth listening to. And as always, if you do enjoy this episode of Process or any of my other podcasts, remember to share it on social media, share it on Instagram stories, tag myself and the guest. Feel free to drop us either a message just to let us know what you thought of it. And also, if you did really enjoy this episode of the podcast, leave a little five-star review and just a little comment about what you thought. But anyway, be sick of me talking now. We'll get on with the podcast. This is Process. Right, people, welcome back to Process. Today, we're joined by another guest, Mr. Carl Bell. So, Carl is, well, he was helped me with a few of my injuries over the years, just a few of them. Um, he's a physio uh, working at Functional Intelligent Training based in Gosforth. And he is also, well, he used to be part of the GK Union back in the day. So he had a spell playing football, obviously, when he was younger, was at Newcastle United, played at England during, during his time. But it's great to have you on the podcast, mate. Welcome. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, hope you're well, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, not bad. So, like I said, we'll talk about a bit more about the physio side and your business and stuff towards the end. But one of the things I wanted to talk about with you is obviously your upbringing into football. Obviously, we're both goalkeepers, both from kind of like the same local area. But yeah. it's interesting because you went through all that, the phase at Newcastle United at, like, at the academy, all the way through the system, had good spells with England and stuff, and then obviously had a few injuries and stuff down the line and then transitioned out of it. So it's interesting to kind of hear your story. So how did you first, well, get into football and get into the, the Newcastle United Academy to start with? So uh, it's a good one then, actually. The, it happened really quickly for me, Brendan. Um, I only started playing when I was around about 13. And yeah. uh, I just happened to be okay at it. And then I got signed for Carlisle. And Simon Smith, who's currently the goalkeeping coach at Newcastle now, was the academy goalkeeping coach at Carlisle at the time. Um, and I really enjoyed my time at Carlisle. But then Newcastle came in when I was 15 to buy his, to take his to Newcastle. Um, and Simon was also going across to Newcastle at the time. Um, so I went across. Um, and then I started you know, I represented England at under 15s and 16s at that point. So it happened really quickly for me. And, you know, in hindsight, maybe it's too quick. But, um, yeah, it, it just happened. It was, a, it, it was a matter of luck that I fell into a position of being in goal. 
I happened to be able to stop the balls going in, um, <laughs> partly because I was a bit of a bigger bloke for my age at the time. But yeah. uh, I, ju I just enjoyed it at the time, yeah. So that's where that's where yeah. I took it from. Man. It was good. Did, did you feel, did you feel much pressure? Because I didn't realise you got bought actually off Newcastle from Carlisle. Um, did you feel much sort of pressure at a young age because of well because you've been you've been bought and the kind of that expectation when someone buys a player, especially locally. Did you know what it is? Uh, I I never found out what the fee was for because my dad dealt with everything, um, right. and the, the I never had any pressure at Carlisle. I really enjoyed my football at Carlisle. I guess because I'd only been playing a year and a half, I I needed to enjoy it. Unless you wouldn't really yeah. what you're doing it for. But as soon as I went to Newcastle, it was just different, and the, the enjoyment kind of stopped fairly quickly for us, um, mm -hmm. for 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 numerous different reasons, which I'll. We'll, we'll, I'm assuming we'll probably have a bit of a chat yeah. about conversation. Uh -huh. um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's a distinct difference between the setup of Carlisle and lads being, you know, really, you know, at a young age, you shouldn't be making those, you know, you shouldn't be scared of making mistakes or being able to express yourself. You just want to enjoy your football, don't you? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that kind of gets taken away a little bit quick as soon as it gets a bit more serious. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say we'll talk about like kind of the reasons behind it becoming kind of losing the enjoyment a little bit of that and losing that a kind of um that you feel like there was too much pressure on you or what was kind of the reasonings behind it? Uh I think with you and I had some good chats about it really, is is that yeah. you know, you get a few injuries, you you know coaches come into play with it, you know, you don't always see eye to eye with them. Um, you know, your confidence is a big, big thing. And, you know, you don't really understand your emotions as a young kid, really. You think about 15, 16, 17 years of age. You're just a young kid, really, at the same time. And all of a sudden, you've left home. I'd only been playing football two, three, two and a half, three years. And then I'm up, you know, playing football full time. And physically, I was capable. But mentally, I probably hadn't adapted at the same pace because it was just all very quick. Um, so I didn't know how to deal with the some setbacks really because it had just been a great big like rapid learning curve for me very quick um you know then the injuries come along and you know the the, the confidence goes and the enjoyment goes with it really and the yeah. you know you, i'm talking 16 to 20 years ago when this was happening and i would argue the man management of individual players at that point wasn't great neither um, mm -hmm. You know, some players have been in the system quite a while and understand how to adapt to it, while somebody that's very new to it doesn't. And if you're not mentally prepared for that, then it's a bit of a steep learning curve. Um, yeah. You know, at the time, you maybe don't understand that. Mm -hmm. I think it's yeah, when no. time goes on, you get to understand the way you're feeling. Yeah, I think I think back now to like when I was young and I was like having bad runs of form or like I was getting really anxious and nervous before games and like you just think that's like you, you, I don't know you don't even actually understand your emotions until like now I kind of understand why I get anxious and I know a little bit how to control it. But in terms, I talked about it in a podcast. I literally posted yesterday about like yeah. me being ridiculously anxious for playing football and my confidence was dropped and then my performance was dropped. And then if you can just change your mindset and think about. I don't know, not putting as much pressure on yourself, then you enjoy, start enjoying it and you start performing better. But I think yeah. there isn't enough kind of like donage to help kind of young lads, especially when they're like, like yourself, like getting bought from, from different teams coming in and there's a lot of pressure on young lads at a young age. Like There isn't a lot of the mental side of it to prepare young lads because a, a lot of them do struggle. Like, I know lads, you probably know the same, 
lands in training when there's no pressure on them who are like unbelievable and then it comes to a game or it comes to like a big moment and they're just you can see that they're so anxious and they're nervous on the ball and they've got they just feel like they've got no time on the ball and they're just booted away sort of thing so I think there was a lot that can probably be done even in like the modern day, never mind back in your day, because I think it was probably a lot more old school when you were probably growing up yeah. into football. The kind of, like, Do you know what it is, Brendan? It's, it's interesting though, because when I, when I finished playing, I joined, the, I joined the Royal Marines as a reservist fairly quickly after. And I found it quite amusing that I learned more and they got more out of me as an individual because they know how to manage people individually rather than as a collective. Um, and the man management styles utilised within the Marines back then was significantly better than what I was getting at the football club. And to me, that was a bit of a backwards... I just didn't understand how that was the case. Um, but, you know, yeah, that was a while back in, in, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure things, times will have changed. But, uh, you know, you talk about the mental side of the game. I think the use of certainly psychologists, sports psychologists in the younger population... Um, shouldn't be underestimated because I think they'll be worth the weight in gold and understand mm -hmm. your emotions, understanding, like you say, when you, you you feel no pressure in training and then you get into a game and you just completely shut down. You're scared. You're just scared of making mistakes. You're scared of, you're scared of playing. You, you don't really want to be out there and mm -hmm. enjoyment goes. And to be able to process that and understand why you feel like that, uh, for me would be, well, certainly would have been beneficial for me and, you know, you, you felt a bit like that at times, and I'm sure there's going to be other younger generations of goalkeepers, players out there feeling exactly the same. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. I remember going on to... I used to have a thing about playing like box nets, you know, the box nets. Yeah. Because when we played games, we played in them. I don't know, I had like a weird anxiety thing where I didn't feel comfortable in it. Like little things like that. Like, yeah. there's probably other lads who are the same. Um, just stepping onto that pitch when it's, you know when it's an actual game you just feel like you're in a different headspace sometimes you doesn't feel like, like you're very present you're thinking about everything else you're thinking about oh this guy's watching me like i need to do this when the ball's on you it's like everything kind of zooms in on you whereas when you're in training you're not thinking about it it's like you just do your thing don't you, you just do it naturally yeah. and like you said like kind of sports psychologists getting that into instilled into young lads at, a, at an early age and letting them know look like you're fine when you're 11, 12 and you're enjoying football and you play. It's like you're playing with your mates. It's like you kick around in the park sort of thing. But as you get a little bit older, especially creeping towards that 16, 17, where it starts to get really, really serious, yeah. and there's a lot more pressure on yourself because it's now your career. It's not just like a bit of fun that you do after school in a sense, but it's re really serious. It can, can definitely get to you, but I think kind of setting lads up for that down the line can mass massively help you. So what is, do you feel like, do you literally think it was when you went to Newcastle where it started to kind of yeah, change massively? You yeah. know, Brendan, it, it, I mean, I, I feel sorry for my dad to an extent because he, he, he yeah. travelled the width and the length and the breadth of the country with us. Um, but I just got to the stage where I just didn't want to play football anymore. And, you know, that for me, so, you know, yeah, I had a few injuries and everything along the way. But when I got told, you know, that was it, I couldn't play no more for my, for my wrist element. I wasn't, I wasn't too fussed at the time because I just lost all interest in it. The fun had been mm -hmm. taken away. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's a daunting thought thinking, well, what am I going to do next? Because, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting there going, well, all you've done for the last few years is play football. And it's on daft because many kids would give the right arm to be in that position. Um, but that was, that, you know, that was the reality of it, mate. And that, that is mm -hmm. where I was 
you know, that was the way I was feeling. It was the way I was, you know, my, it was just, a, it was, it, it was kind of a blessing if I'm being honest, just from a psychological point of, you know, not being scared to play anymore. I got to the point where I didn't even want to train because yeah. you know, confidence gets that low. Um, and you'll, I mean, you see it in current day players and as soon as the confidence goes, that, you know, everything just falls apart, doesn't it? Um, but I think from a, from a young lad's point, you, you know, you're talking of that 14 to 15, like thinking, am I going to get signed full time? And then you certainly go full time, 16, 17, 18, 19, whatever it may be. Um, it's a massive, you know, from a maturity point, players are mature mentally and physically, and they're learning a lot about themselves at that age. Um, and I think, you know, yes, you've got to have an element of physical and mental robustness to be at the top. I, I, I get that. But I think when it's often overlooked at being able to help them to get there like, and nurture them to get there, you know, because that was missing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's many players I played with as a young lad that were, there was a lot better players. And like you say, in training, some of them, you're just like, these lads are amazing. Um, but they got the 19 year old and they were in the same boat where they just weren't playing, their confidence had gone. And um, I think there's a lot to be said for it from a, from a psychological point. But yeah, at the same time, you've got you've got to have that physical robustness and mental robustness. But during that period where, you know, you're a young teenager, you're mature and like I say, mentally, um, you don't understand your emotions that well. And mm -hmm. certainly you kind of look at the way, well, Michael Chopper is an example. He'd been in the system from nine years of age. You know, he knew that system fairly well. I, I didn't even stop playing until I was 13, yeah. you know. And it was just like, boosh. And then all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I've got Alan Shiva shooting at this. I've got Robert, I'm training with Shea. And it was just like, you know, these are people I see on TV. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you're among it. And you just, you, you sometimes don't deal with it, is the reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, it's interesting. We'll talk about your injuries and coming out of football and everything after a little bit later on. But I was interested because you say, obviously, you weren't enjoying it, yet you had such a like for the short period of time that you were in football, you had quite like good big opportunities. Like you were quite fortunate in terms of like you were in and around the first team. I think you you probably tra did you travel to any like away games and or home like home games got, with the first team squad? Up, I got called up and Shane Stevie got uh, there was a few injuries come around, um, but it, as it ended up, Shane ended up passing uh, fitness tests and ended up mm. travelling. Um, so I, I got left behind on those ones. Bobby Robson called us up a few games. Aston Villa was one of them. I think Fulham was another one. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And then you also obviously had the England call-ups and stuff like that. Were you still in that sort of mindset where you weren't really enjoying football as much, even with those big kind of opportunities? Was that mindset still there? Or was it kind of, they were like little highs, but as soon as you came back, was they kind of back to like the same ground zero sort of thing? It's, uh, it's an interesting question that, because... Yeah. The, 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 like you say, the highs are very high. When you like, you know, we played against Argentina at Wembley. So there was me and Michael Chopra from Newcastle in the England team, and you know, Michael scored the winning goal in there. But there was there was about forty thousand people at Wembley, and you, you you come back and you're like, that was amazing. Um, you know, it was a buzz. But you know, at that stage I was still very young. I hadn't had many injuries. I was, you know, the confidence hadn't gone at that point. Um, but like you say, as soon as you get a few injuries, you know, you're out of kind of favour with the coaches. Um, and it was it was almost like if you're injured, they don't want to know you. And mm -hmm. if you're playing, then OK, they'll consider you. 
Um, but then it's like you've got to reprove yourself. And actually, you know, you're looking at, they're looking at everything from a physical aspect. Um, you know, certainly from an injury point, yes. But there's a there's a part where you know I had a hernia when I was younger, 17, um, playing a sudden, and I took the ball, developed the hernia. So I was out for nearly 11 months with that. Um, so there's a big psychological factor in terms of returning to play. Mm-hmm. And I guess even as a physio now, I always look at the you know the psychological implementation of of rehab because it's not just physically or the capable, but mentally rather in in that you know frame of mind um, to to return to performance. So yeah, I think that is a big thing. We'll talk, we'll talk a bit about your injuries now. Then, so when was your first kind of serious? injury that kind of you that well first of all we've probably got some good stories to tell in terms of injuries both both the similar but in terms of like your first your first injury that you felt was one of the ones that kind of knocked your confidence and you found it hard to come back back from my my first one would have been I was like I said playing against Sunderland and uh we I was just taking a goal kick and the headwind was horrendous so it was one of those if you, yeah. you know when you try and just nail it low yeah and yeah anyway I mean the pain in my groin was just like Jesus this is you know pretty bad um, so anyway I played on I got the point where I just couldn't I was struggling to even walk and yeah anyway I had a groin disruption so I ended up going in for surgery um, and that had us out for they, they tried to rehab it originally um, we just trailed because as soon as I'd returned kicking the ball and the force that was required to kick the ball, as you know, is quite a lot, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. The groin would just go. So then ended up surgery. So all in all, it was about 11 months out. You know, that's a, it's a season, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just got going again. You know, yeah, I wasn't enjoying it, no. Um, but then I was, it was funny because at the end of training back Shea Given and Alan Shea would always have a little bit of a game at the end whether that be penalties free kicks or whatever um, I volunteered to go and go there Shea's walloped this ball and I've dived to my right and just it just caught us right on the edge of the fingers and I put it on the post thankfully but uh, <laughs> um, it just walloped my wrist back and it was one of those where you go you know that hurt that but it, you don't expect your wrist to be broken from it do you and you kind of crack on yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cracked on. I went in. I went in to see the physio afterwards, and he was like, "Grade one ligament sprain." So I uh, rested it for a while. Back into training. Next ball, I hit it. My wrist just went poof, and I was like, "This is knacking. This isn't normal." Um, so after around about eight weeks of that happening, of my wrist kind of getting smacked back, they sent us for an MRI, and my wrist was broken. So that was the first element of surgery. So four failed surgeries should we say later um, which was you know it takes its toll after a while you know that was probably about a year's worth of time out um, and that was when the consultant was like look you're going to either have to stop playing football or your wrist gets fused um, so I was like well I'll stop playing football thank you very much yeah, I'll, have your, I'll have my wrist <laughs> fair enough um, yeah. So yeah, that that's a brief shot of the two big big ones. Anyway. Um, yeah, I was gonna say both scenarios. It was kind of like right, we'll try this and then we'll see what it's like. And then it, it's it's always like surgery is always the last case scenario. But I know how frustrating it is because I've done a podcast with a lad Liam Smith. He was the exact same thing. He went to see expert after expert. He tried rehab after rehab, and then at the end he went to go and see this surgeon. It just like I think one of you we never met before, and he literally said. Yeah, you need to operate on that. Got to operate, and he's been fine. 
Like it's yeah. so frustrating. Like I, cause I've been through similar things with my knee. Like they tried injections, they tried everything, and then obviously the last case scenario was surgery, which is kind of the thing that fixed it. How like frustrating was it for you mentally, especially when you're kind of doing the whole rehab stuff, then you're out on the pitch and you're getting a taste of obviously right, I'm getting my, I'm actually kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel here in terms of injuries. And then it's like like you said, with the ball come and hit your hand again and then it's like, Oh, it's not right again. It's kind of like up and down in terms of like mentally you you're on a high and then you you're back down again. How did you find it the frustrating, how did you deal with it like mentally with yourself when you were going through that rehab phase, trying to get yourself back fit and then obviously it failing again? Um, first time I didn't know any better. So it was just mm -hmm. part of the journey for me, I suppose. Um, and I just had to take it in my stride and go, well, that's the way it is. You know, after six weeks of having my wrist smacked back and the broken and the ball's coming at about 100 mile an hour, you get a bit annoyed with the pain, like it hurts. Um, but, you know, that's what it was. And, you know, at the end of the day, the physios were the physios. I was listening to them. You know, in hindsight, knowing what I know now, you know, yeah, they should have mm -hmm. sent us away for an MRI as soon as it happened. But, you know, that is, you know, we, I, I can't look back at that with sour grapes. It was, it's the way it is. Um, Second time it happened, I was frustrated. Uh, you know, you do go into that little dark place of this is just not right. You know, you're not in a happy little place. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it, it was it was the, the saving grace there, the, the physio I had um, in the end, Kev Bell, I got along really well with him to this day. He remains a very good friend. Um, mm -hmm. So it, I think... I started taking more notice of what was going on with my body when I was injured. So it made mm -hmm. my injury and my, my rehab more bearable to, to just to, I guess, take note of what is going on rather than just being, you know, thumb up my bum as such and just getting through it. Um, third and fourth time, the fourth time, it, yeah, I guess when you break your wrist, there's that feeling you understand what it feels like and you just go, well, it's gone again. I'm off to hospital to get it x-rayed yeah. uh, or MRI'd as it is. So it was just the the fourth one was probably one of those where I just went, I've had enough. I'm not doing it mm -hmm. no more. I'm I'm not enjoying my football. You know, confidence is rock bottom. This is pretty crap. So yeah, it, it was it, it it wasn't too bad to start off with, but it it does drag you down along the way. Um, because you know things have changed a bit. It's that being that injured state. You just get chucked to the side and get told to rehab. Like, there's no integration mm -hmm. with the team. There's none of that. It's just you're yeah. in the gym by yourself, and it's just crap. Um, and, yeah, it, it wears you down. Yeah. I thought, like I said, I thought about it with Smithy in the podcast. Like, it felt like my full-time job was to be injured. I didn't, did it ever feel like that? Because I'm guessing you were still full <laughs> You were literally just, my full-time job was coming. Go and see the physio at nine o'clock. He would say, "Come back at ten o'clock after you have your breakfast and whatever. Come back at ten o'clock, sit on the bed, do your rehab stuff, go on the bike for a bit." It was like I didn't even have to go in and ask the physio. Like it got to the point I was that injured for that long that the physio said, "I'll oh, just just turn up at half ten and just do your stuff." I would literally just turn up and rock. I did, I totally forgot what it was like to be like a, a professional footballer, like go out and train every day. Just your mindset, my mindset completely flipped. That was my yeah. job. Was it kind of similar sort of thing? Yeah, it is. is you spent so long there, and I mean, I find it. I look back on it now, and I, I, I laugh about it. You know, you've got no other choice but to. But you know, mm -hmm. at the time, yeah, you're just sitting there going, another day in the gym, another day by yourself. 
another day doing the crappy bloody rehab that yeah. you know yeah you've got to do but it's just destroying isn't it um yeah. but it does become a you're right you kind of forget what it's like to be a goalkeeper and mm-hmm. be a because the goalkeeping community is very like it's a close-knit little unit isn't it yeah and uh you know the, the crack's great but that you're not engaging with that you're in a gym rehabbing you, you, you just get isolated i suppose yeah so there was no integrate. You said there was no integration at all. To be fair, even when I was there, there wasn't really much integration. I don't know what it's like now. Obviously, it's been a few years since I left the club, but I still don't think there was. There probably is enough integration done with the team. Like, even if like the lads go on, even like do something in the afternoon, we never used to really be involved in that because the physio injured lads used to have to stay until what half three, four o'clock. Like, right. There was a few times that, like, even when the lads, like, for example, they went to go eight one time because I'm injured. Well, I, I wouldn't, I'm not allowed to go and swing from trees and stuff like that anyway. Yeah. So, like, you miss out on stupid things like that, and then you're not really meant to go on nights out because maybe the next day you were in for physio. Like, things yeah. like that, you, you miss out. And it's not just the, the football side you miss out, it's also the other the other side. And, like, you said, it's like it's be a dark, lonely place. Team, isn't it? Oh, 100% in the games, like, like when you when you're playing week in week out games, you are involved in that, and you can have a bit of banter and stuff. Like say, even if someone's had a bad game, you rip them or something. Or if you've had a good game, you're in with that celebration. But it's not the same when you, when you're in. Yes, you you are part of the team, but you're not. Realistically, you, you're not. You don't have any sort of like emotional involvement with it because you didn't. You're not even not even on you the bench. Right? Have you? you haven't contributed at all. Like I talked to when we talk. I talked to Rami. I done a podcast with Rami. And he said, obviously, when he went to QPR, he had his ACL injury. I think he only played two games the season that he yeah. got promoted. Or won the, I don't know if they won the league or got promoted, but he just said, like, it, it was, just wasn't the same. Like, yeah. he didn't feel like he contributed at all. He didn't really feel like he deserved that medal or stuff. Like, it just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny place. Being injured really is. It really is a weird, weird kind of environment and kind of headspace to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I look back, like, when I was at Newcastle for my last two years of my contract, and I didn't like even think about what it was gonna be like afterwards, which we'll talk about with you. Like I always thought like it would be okay kind of thing. I would eventually get myself fit. I would eventually kind of actually get a run of playing football. But a lot of the time with these long term injuries, it's not as simple as right operation, and then we're six months down the line we're fine. Which obviously yeah. you had yourself with the four. Four surgeries. What What did you think after the first surgery? Did you just think it was going to be like, right, we'll rehab this for a few months and then straight back in? Uh, yeah, well, because you're young and a bit naive, aren't you? You kind of sit yeah. there and go, well, yeah, I'm going to be grand. I'm still at that stage where I think I'm bomb-proof. And, yeah. uh, you know, but when you've got lads capable of hitting the ball as hard as what they do, mm-hmm. you kind of sit and go, well, your wrist's got to have a fair whack of strength in it to stand up to it. But you don't know that at the time, do you? You just sit there and go, nah, you just go dive after yeah. it. Um, I thought I was going to be okay, but yeah, you know, as soon as the first ball hit it, it's just like, nah, yeah, <laughs> just, just this isn't normal. Thought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not going to go that far back. <laughs> uh, yeah, so when, when, uh, sorry, go on. No, no, I was going to say, when did you start to um, kind of doubt your obviously the support and your wrist to kind of get back? When did you start doubting that you weren't going to get the back in football? Break. Second break. Yeah. Yeah. I'd lost, to be honest with you, I'd lost confidence in the the system um, of, Mm -hmm. you know, they had it down as a grade one ligament sprain to start off with, um, which, you know, I thought, well, I I didn't know any difference. I thought, well, let's go with it. That's what it is. 
Um, you know, they strapped it up, took your goalkeeping gloves back on, off you go. Um, it just wasn't right. You know, you go through the surgery the first time, and you, you know, it's the it's the whole surgery process that you know you, you end up with massive weakness in the forearms, the arms. You forget even what it's like to catch a ball. So, you know, the rehab is fairly lengthy with it. Um, and then you, as soon as you get any kind of decent strike against it, it just goes again. I was like, Phew. and there was a lot of humming and hawing with the consultant about which was the best way to manage it. Because they'd put us in a plaster the first time. The second time he put us in a like a removable cast. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought, well, it, yeah, that's what it is. But I was starting to lose confidence in the... I, I suppose I like kind of just straight down the line. This is what you do. This is what we've got to do. You know, this for six weeks, whatever it may be. Um, and I've got a, a pathway of care. But there was a lot of stopping and change in the second time round. And that's where I lost my confidence a little bit that this was going to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. But you go with it and, you know, you rehab it, you strengthen it up, etc. And then it goes again. And then I'm just like, well, I'm done with this. I'm, you know, it, it's probably game over. Um, yeah. But, is the way it is, man. It's uh... yeah. Did you did you get to the point where you started kind of looking for your own ways? Because I remember when I was at the point where obviously you trust you're just the you're just the footballer. You don't know anything about like obviously you do now in terms of like physiotherapy and stuff like that. Like when you when you're a player, you're putting everything in the hands of the surgeon, of the doctor, of the physio and stuff because like it's not your kind of specialty. But I got to a point where literally I felt like I was taking the matters into my own hands and like I was re- getting research papers. Obviously my injuries majority was my patella tendon. So I was getting research papers on patella tendons, bringing them into my physio saying, how can you ever read this? Like, what's the, what do you think about this? I was emailing the surgeon. I was trying to do all this. Did you ever get to the point where you were kind of trying to do that yourself or was it kind of at the point because obviously you had like three four surgeries was it just like right i'm done with all this sort of stuff now I, I'm done head, with it, yeah. yeah done with it I, yeah. I was completely done with, with football i just didn't enjoy it so you talk about peter ramage he was he was a good mate of mine at the club um i look at the time from football he's probably one of the only lads I, i've taken away as a really good friend um mm-hmm. and yeah he, he he's a very he's a good lad um but yeah. the, the environment itself I, I didn't really and I enjoyed it to an extent but I think when the fun goes it, it the, everything kind of goes yeah um, so for me it was you know certainly when you get to that third break of the wrist I'm just like I'm, I'm not even but I don't even want to play football anymore you know the enjoyment is completely gone and I'm I, I would like to think that that doesn't happen with kids anymore where mm-hmm. they still enjoy playing football, they still want to play football, and they still want to come perform and not be scared of performing. Because um, you know, certainly I've seen it with quite a few blokes in my age group where that was not the case. They they were petrified at times, and as a result, stopped playing. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely a point where I've just went, I've had enough. I'm yeah. Done. I think there's a lot of pressure on young kids, especially when they've played football since they were like what, like eight or nine, something like that, yeah. all the way through the system, to kind of keep on playing, even when they lose that enjoyment. I know for yourself, yours was kind of like you can't play anymore because of your injury anyway. But like, I think a lot of kids that they get injuries and stuff, they lose the confidence, or maybe the pressure's too much in them and stuff. But they feel like they still have to keep pursuing it. It's because they've almost got that persona or that ego or that. Um, what's the word, stereotype from everybody else, from the friends around that, oh, that's the footballer. Like, I know what it's like when, especially from when we're from like 
out in the out in the sticks where there's only like out you're that stick. footballer. <laughs> out, in the, out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere. Like at school, I was always known as like the footballer sort yeah. of thing. So there was probably a lot of pressure on me to pursue that. And when I've obviously came out of it and took my time away and I'm doing something else now, it's like 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 it's so easy for me to go like well, I like I feel like I've failed almost in a sense, which I think is what a, a lot of people do see like coming out of football at a young age is is a failure, which I think needs to be changed. If you're not enjoying like it's any like any job in a sense, I would say if you don't obviously there's gonna be times where you don't enjoy it because no one likes getting up early and working long days and stuff. Yeah. But if there's ever a point where you truly actually hate it and it's go this is happening for a long long period of time, maybe it's not the right thing for you like the right job for you. Yeah, and like I said, I think there's, there's there's so much pressure on young lads to just keep on pursuing this career. And I, I know lads who've killed. Yeah, go on then. Well, no, it was just because <laughs> when, when I was at when yeah. I was at school, um, I was playing like Northumberland rugby, um, but yeah. I was also playing England football, and I much prefer rugby. I love rugby, mm-hmm. but I was just better at football. Yeah. So I was when I say I was better at football, I was playing to a higher standard, and you know, obviously at the time. Um, the football career is a lot more, was more lucrative, certainly, but you know rugby was really just developing at the stage. And uh, again, in hindsight, you know you're talking about the enjoyment of your job, and if it, if you're not enjoying it, then is it the right thing for you? Mm-hmm. If I had my time again, I, I would have, you know, I've been, yeah, and you can take away some of the football things and say it's offered great experience. But if we're looking at the enjoyment of the sport, I would have been down the rugby route again. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I would, yeah. I would say, I would always say to people, never mind the money. Like, I'd rather take half the money and do a job that I enjoy than have yeah. like do a job that I hate and get paid yeah. double the amount. It's like it's, it's just an, an enjoyment of life is so much more important than money at the end of the day or having yeah. like an ego. Like, I, I can probably guarantee there's a few footballers out there. In fact, there's ones who have came out. I'm trying to think. There was a one who was on. Uh, he used to play for Arsenal, I think. I can't remember who what his name was. Or it might have been Tottenham. I think he was a fullback for Tottenham. He came out and said that he hates football. It's just a job. That's all he sees it. Oh, it might. I don't. It might. He actually he came out, but it was another one because there was an interview. I think he might have been like from Senegal or something. I can't remember. Anyway, well, okay. but there's probably I can I can guarantee there's a few footballers out there who don't enjoy football. Yeah. Like. But to be fair, I reckon the majority of footballers don't enjoy football the same way they did when they were kids. It's completely different. But there's probably a lot of footballers who don't actually enjoy the game and would probably be best suited doing something else. But because they've put the whole life into it and they've got the pressure from the family and everything like that and maybe the friends around them and the social social media as well, because they've yeah. been in the game that long, it would almost be seen as a failure for them to come out of the game at this point and start they don't again. Know, they don't know anything else either, though. That's a trouble. 100%. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of those where it's the better the devil you know. Um, yeah. You know, it's... But yeah, I would agree. I think, like you say, you're, you're going to the full-time element of it. And, you know, yeah, I never made it to the heights of what could have been. But even in the early stages, you're sitting there going, the fun can soon be taken away. And mm-hmm. I, I just... Yeah, like I said before, I would hate to think that kids are finding themselves in that position again. Yeah. yeah. I think it's one of those, Brendan, where you you get a bit older and you start to understand yourself a lot better. You start to ask mm-hmm. questions more. But you don't do that when you're young because you don't understand no. the emotions. You don't understand the whys of life, do you? And if you understood no. what you know now when you're 16, well, the results are going to be completely a different ballgame, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, but I think... Yeah. I think- 
I think when kids are young as well, I think it's it's got to be slightly down to either the parents or the coaches or someone else because you can't you don't know you don't know your own emotions like we've talked about and I think maybe if the, maybe a parent can see that the kids not looking forward to going to football maybe they're at 15 16 when it's starting to get serious and they're, they're not happy with things they might be a great player they might be great at it but maybe just to say to them like are you actually like you still enjoying your football like do you, do you truly enjoy it and they might say yeah yeah it's fine but like do you actually really enjoy it are you want can you see this being a long term thing or do you want to try other things and i think that's one thing when you do get to that 15 16 like football becomes your entire life and I talk about other people in terms of the education route. Like a lot of lads pie off education, they sack off uh, GCSEs, they sack off like going to college, going to university, because football does take over your whole life. And I think it's kind of instilled into, into lads at a young age that it needs to be your whole life, which I completely disagree with. Like I talked to I talked to Rami, I talked to uh, Adam Armstrong, and he says one thing he like he's learned over the years is to switch off from football and have something else. When you're when you're away from it, because when it becomes your life, it's a lot of pressure, and it, it does become your job, and it does become very kind of repetitive if you're you're always focusing on that. So I think for young lads, if the people are listening, like the, hopefully obviously your parents or your coaches talk to you about how you're actually truly feeling about football and stuff like that. But have something else. Have it doesn't have to be a backup plan, just something else that you enjoy doing. Like if if it's yeah. even if it's like arse, do the release, arse. Isn't it? Yeah, just some sort of. So I think it was. I think it was the podcast with Rami. I kept on talking about painting. I kept on saying painting for some reason. Like if you like painting, go and do some painting or something like that. But whatever it is, if you've got it, if you've got an enjoyment, like I said, I said to my brother, like he loves his um, he loves his Xbox and stuff. I was like, well, go and set up like a YouTube channel or something and put some time into that if you enjoy it, and then you could maybe make something of it. Like football doesn't have to be everything. It can be other aspects. Like for myself, I had my personal training. Which was something I started when I was in football, and now I've took it out, um, and I've started pursuing it a bit more. So having something else that can maybe even take your mind off it, and you might start enjoying football more when you're not taking it so serious. Which I it's, which it's I true. found myself. <laughs> yeah, I found it, it myself. It, to be fair, it was it was it's an interesting moment, you know. But certainly as a kid, and you're sitting there saying, as a parent, if if you're seeing a reduction in performance or whatever it may be within the children, you're always asking the questions of you know, are you still enjoying football or your sport? Definitely. But you always got to ask the answer. You know, you've always got to ask why are you not enjoying it no more? Is it the pressure? Mm -hmm. Is it your confidence? Is it, you know, what, what is the reasons why? Um, yeah. Sometimes if you, if you don't ask those questions, you never, you know, you're kind of barking up the wrong tree at times. Mm -hmm. um, and I think certainly, you know, because the gains of becoming successful in football are so huge, the pressures are, you know, certainly from a parenting point can be also quite, you know, they, they can be a little bit pushy at times instead of just giving yeah. them a bit of a, you know, putting a shoulder, you know, hand on the shoulder and nurturing them a little bit mm -hmm. um, and, and telling them that they're doing well and, you know, whatever that needs to be said, I suppose. Because yeah. um, it, it is, all, you know, it's overlooked at times. Mm -hmm. I think I think the kind of mindset of coaches is, is slightly improving rather than like the old school approach where it's literally just bollock everybody if they do anything wrong. That's what people, it was, you know. Yeah, like the modern day manager, like Guardiola and every and then Jurgen Klopp, examples like that. It's always an arm around the shoulder, but obviously, they, when they need a ball again, you need a ball again, so the, the will give you that. But a lot of the time, it's like creating that environment where you feel comfortable, you feel like you can have a conversation with your manager, have a yeah. conversation with your coach. It's like the same with your parents. Like my dad, I remember was about thirteen, my fourteen maybe. He took a step away from being a coach because obviously he coached me when I was younger. 
And I think yeah. he was obviously that passionate about football, that passionate about me doing well, that he took it really seriously. And he said to me, because he told me off after it, I'd had a craft training session, whatever it was one time, he's like, right, now I'm, I'm going to just back away, just be, be a dad rather than a coach, which yeah. I think helped me quite a lot. And he's like, if you want to talk about football, if you want to talk about tactics, come to me and we'll talk about it and we'll talk about walk through stuff. But I'm your dad now. I'm, I'm not your your coach and I think another I think it was Phil Neville or Gary Neville I can't remember I listened to a podcast they were, they were the same sort of thing they, they just want to try and be that rather than being the coach they'll just be the dad and yeah. if they need if they want any obviously help with coaching and stuff they can they can be there so the approaches are uh, slightly slightly changing I think they're getting slightly better but still a lot more needs to be done to help young kids obviously with the mental side because like we keep bringing up like you don't know your own mind at that age. And what's going Brendan, I think we've both we've both uh, chatted to sports psychologists in the past, mm-hmm. and they they're all acutely aware that, that you know yeah the academies have them on the book, but are they truly utilising them to the maximum potential, mm-hmm. or is it just a bit of a tick in the box? And you know you're yeah. right, the, the coaching is improving a lot, and the ability to man manage is is always improving and. You know, yet I'm, I'm referring to my experience, which was, you know, 15 years ago. So you'd like to think it had improved. If it hadn't, you know, something's really drastically wrong, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just really, you know, the teams, that the, 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 the FAs obviously changed the way academies are set up and things and for the better. Um, but it's just maximising the use of those psychologists, I feel, would be beneficial. And you may find you're getting a little bit more of some of the players. Not all of them, but, you know, some yeah, of them. Some- some of the ones who are actually maybe are struggling with something mentally or want to actually better themselves will probably stick into it. Would, but you talk about... Would, go on, you go. You go. No, you go on, mate. Sorry. Now, I was going to say, you talk about ticking the boxes. I felt like that's all that, that... We did have a psychologist in Newcastle, but I felt like we'd see them maybe once a month for like an hour session, and it wasn't really sports psycho. It was just... It was just, Like I said, it was just ticking a box, but I think maybe putting something in and maybe giving that option for lads who actually maybe need something, need to talk to someone about it, but trying to keep it quiet. Because obviously when you're in football, you don't want to seem like you're struggling mentally or that you're lacking confidence. You want to try and be that that almost macho sort of man sort of figure. A bit of an alpha male environment. Isn't alpha it? male, that's the one, yeah. That's the, that's the phrase I was thinking of. <laughs> macho man. But it, it shouldn't but, be yeah. though. You know, the reality is, is that, you know, the reality is there is they should be comfortable talking about it. You know, mm-hmm. you could be the best player in the world, but if you're struggling, you know, why are you, why should you feel uncomfortable talking about it? And yeah. um, it's a, you know, yeah, it, it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be that stigma on it because football does have that. Where, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you were younger, Brendan, would you have ever went to your coach and went, I'm like mentally struggling here, I, I just can't nah. cope? Nah. You wouldn't have done nah, it, would you? you? Can't do it. I don't know. I wouldn't know how the coach would react. To be fair, like thinking about one of my coach, I don't know what they would, how they would react to it. Very. I know very how well. mine would have. Yeah. Second word, my I know, but that's that's the thing. Which is, it can't be like that now. I think the probably is coaches who are slightly better at it, but they still you still get a lot of old school coaches in the game that year. Yeah. You won't, wouldn't be able to talk to. You know, times change, science has changed. You know, the, the, it's changed for the better, certainly. Um, but I just still think there's more can be done. Mm-hmm, 100%. So, talking about obviously your career, 
football career coming to end with injury and stuff. We'll talk about your transition out the game. Obviously, you talked about the Marines and then obviously we're moving on to physiotherapy. What was it like making... Well, I know your decision was kind of already made for you in a sense. It was kind of a penultimate either you lose your... For you, you have a seized wrist or you pack in. But how was that? <laughs> so it's a pretty simple... Wait, what do I do? I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure what I'm going to do here. But what was it like kind of knowing that decision was over? I know your mindset in terms of enjoyment of football was different. Um, but what was kind of going through your head and what obviously made you go down the Marines route and then the physio route? The, 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 so from finishing football, it was a bit of a release. Mm-hmm. To you know, So there's numerous physios at the football club at the time. And I mentioned Kev Bell earlier on. Um, Kev and I, I spent a lot of time with Kev and I respect Kev. Um, and it was one of the, I guess like you do, you, you, you stop like just monging your way through rehab and you start taking interest in it. And, you know, you, you start asking, well, if I'm doing something, why am I doing it? And mm-hmm. Kev would always have that time to explain things to us. And it just got us interested in it. So I, I had, I, I kind of developed that interest in it, but naturally, you know, you went on about the education thing before when you left school, I just, I was playing football, mate. And that's all I knew. I mean, GCSEs were terrible. So I left yeah. playing football. I had to go. I went. I got. I went down to Bath Uni. Um, I did a degree in sports science before I would then be accepted onto a physiotherapy degree because um, my qualifications just weren't. They were nil existent to get on a physio yeah. degree. Um, having been told from the football club, I wouldn't. I wasn't bright enough to get the degree. It, it kind of. It just it was a bit. It was one of those bit of a nail in the coffin with things at times where I was just like well you know I just thought you know you stick two fingers up to them at the end I'm walking away from it and I'll crack on with me one thing um, so yeah. I've done it um, but during that during my time of doing the physio degree I all I applied to go into the main, the, the Royal Marines uh, as a regular soldier at the time because I just I needed a challenge again I needed to find I suppose a purpose um, and I thought, well, if I'm going to do something, it needs to be something that's going to challenge us to the point of I'm happy. Um, and I guess the Marines was what that was. Mm. So, but then I, I got offered the chance to go down to Bath Uni. Um, so I, I took that. I, I didn't go regular at that time. And then I got offered the place uh, in Northumbria Uni for my degree. And I was sitting there thinking, I still need to do the Marines thing unless I'm not going to be satisfied. Uh, I just had that little itch that needs scratch. So I applied to go in the reserves, which some will say it's easier, some will say it's harder because you've just got to dedicate time to turning up the train and doing your training your own time. You know, then, you know, when your mates are going out on a Saturday or weekend, you're off, you know, freezing in Otterburn somewhere, sitting in a plumbing harbour or something, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it was a challenge and I enjoyed it. Um, so that took us down that route for a little while, but ultimately I ended up going into the military as a physio in the end for a while before obviously mm-hmm. coming where I am now. Um, yeah. But the, the, the initial interest was really lapped up in, in the time I've spent with Kev. Yeah. You talked you talk about the, the Marines and stuff, how that you kind of learned a lot more doing the Marines than you had in terms of like mindset and terms of everything like that compared to going through football. What sort of things... Yeah kind of help build that mindset? Well, obviously, everyone knows kind of what the Marines training and stuff is like, but what sort of things did you you think were the key things that you've learned through that, that kind of Marines process? 
Um, well, I'll give you an example. Um, there was a sergeant major pulled us aside because we had to do a rope climb. One of the rope climbs is 30 feet long, like high with uh, Oli Kiron. And it is, you know, it's a big old way to climb up. And there was just this mental block I had that I just, you know, I couldn't do it. it I, did, mm. I couldn't get the technique. And it was just pure strength that I was relying on. And it was always one of those that unless you're mega strong, you're, you're going to struggle if you don't get the technique. And there was that mental block where I just kept failing it and I kept failing it and I kept failing it. And the Sergeant Major, albeit at the time, I just thought he was there to have a, you know, he was observing, shall we say, rather than having a laugh. He just pulled us aside one day and he 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 had he had noticed my frustration and my mindset had changed with that mental block. And he just took us aside and, you know, I was going on about the mind management thing. Rather than the typical old school PTI just screaming at you saying, you know, get your ass up that rope, Sergeant Major pulled us aside and just, you know, give us a little bit of a motivational speech, should we say. And he's like, mm -hmm. he'd done it. It lasted about 20 minutes. I'm sitting there going, right, right. You know, I, I, absorbing it all in. And he's like, right, get back on that rope. And I bloody flew up it. And it was just, but that was a common trend and theme through the whole of training where they would, mm -hmm. you know, because yes, you're an individual, but you're also very, very much just a team. Um, and they needed to get the best out of the individual to make a good team. Um, yeah. And they just really had a good knack with that. Whereas, the, mm -hmm. you know, if you go on about the old school coach in football who just shout at you for making a mistake, there's never that ability to go, why is he making the mistake? What's going on? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And there's a bit of a ticking point for me where I was going, I'm a lot more comfortable in this environment. You know, don't get us wrong. You don't see eye to eye with everybody in the call. There's, you know, there's some big characters going on in there. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, no, that's good. I, I can. When you were saying that, I just remember an example. But when I was in football, there was one coach who was he was quite switched on to the whole mental side of football. Dave Watson used to play for Evan. I think he's retired from coaching and stuff now. But he used to be the academy under 18s manager. But he was, like I said, very switched on in terms of mentally and in terms. I think he was big into his yoga. So I think he was quite a wise kind of soul in a sense, yeah. big into that sort of, trying to switch, switch off. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, he is quite, I think he's, I think this, his missus is a hippie, um, a hippie, a yoga instructor, Um, so I think he's probably like, is very switched on to the mind and soul, all that sort of stuff, but he said to me it was my, because I never, my under 18s debut was in the FA Youth Cup, I never played a friendly, I never played a league game or anything from the 18s, just happened that there was a lot of injuries and I, Ended up playing in the FA Youth Cup at Barnsley at um, to Oakwell. I can't remember what's called Oakwell Park, whatever it is. Anyway, like a week before, I was thinking about this game for like a good solid two weeks beforehand. I was terrified. Um, obviously, I never played for the under 18, so I didn't know what it was like. And then I never played at a stadium, so that was a big thing. Yeah. And I knew all my family were going to be there because it was in, at Barnsley. My mum's side of the family's from Sheffield. I knew everyone was going to be there, so I was like, fucking hell. But he, he um, pulled it aside, like, I think a week or so before. Before the game, he said to me, all right, like, how are you feeling before the Buddhist game and stuff? So I was like, check this, say I was fine. I was like, oh yeah, I'm all right. Like, looking forward to it, whatever. But a little bit nervous, but not too bad. He was like, no, no, I know, I know what it's like because this is your first game and stuff like that. So don't worry about it. I remember when I was um, made my England debut. I think he only played a few times for England against Brazil at Wembley. And he said he was shitting himself beforehand. He was terrified. Yeah. And like knowing that someone who's obviously played for Evan and played for England is going through the same sort of emotions... Obviously, I know it's a completely different level. He's playing for England, I'm playing for 
like you can't it's, all it, it? it's all the same though so for me that is probably the same level as it was to him because obviously he's played yeah. so many games it's the same sort of thing but just that little conversation that I, like knowing that someone who's played in the Premier League played for England and stuff has had the same thoughts as me kind of makes you feel like oh right I'm not the only one who's went through this if he's went through this and done alright I can do the same yeah. thing and little things like that and then right before the game um, on the pitch and then Rolando Ahrens he came over to me and just said Brendan mate you're a great keeper let's have a good game just li little things like that like yeah. build your confidence when you're a young lad having obviously your manager and an experienced pro come to talk to you and then someone who's a few years older in your own team saying stuff yeah. like that I think builds a lot of confidence so it's something that like experienced players in a team who are a little bit older or like managers can probably do for, for young lads I know how much that lifted me I, I ended up having a good game Every, it was, didn't have much to do, but everything, my kicking and stuff was spot on, and we won 2 1, went through to the next round. Um, just little tiny yeah, things like that. Well, I did. I had it <laughs> once. I could some some lad. 80, I was at 80th minute, top bins one out of nowhere. I was just like, I, we, were bat, we battered him 2 0, and then the last like five minutes, he top bins one, but never, never mind. The, I think the highlights are probably still on YouTube from about four years ago, or five. Be longer than that. God, I was like 17. That's a long time ago, that. But anyway, this is a little story <laughs> that popped into my head. Thanks for bringing the goal up. Never mind. Sounded really good until you just mentioned that. Uh, anyway, so we'll finally... I've we'll... a few times, mate. I wouldn't worry. I know. We all do, mate. We all do. I'm surprised um, it wasn't a bad back I finished this. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know. I pulled hamstring from bending down too much. Um, but we'll, fin we'll finish off quickly just with a bit of talk about, obviously, our transition into physio. It's probably... Like similar to myself, when I was injured, Lord, I developed, and I think that's where my interest into fitness, into training, into that sort of side of the game come from. Do you think it was just the same sort of scenario for yourself? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It was, um, you know, like I said, with Kev, uh, Kev took his time with us and explained things. I think Kev sensed that I'd had a bit of a rough time, I suppose, from an injury point, and uh, he, we just understood each other. And like I said, to this day, he's still a good friend. And I will still turn to him at times from a physio point and go, what do you think here? What, what would you recommend? What do you suggest? He's always been a kind of sound reasoning board right the way through my life, really, since I met him. Um, but he's, he's probably 100% the reason why I started taking the interest in physio, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so after you to get enough from your uni, were you doing the physio at the Marines while you were at uni enough from you? Is that what you were? So when I, I, I went into, I went, I went to uh, uni, um, at Northumbria. That's when I started doing the training as a reservist. Um, then, when I finished my degree, uh, I went. Well, I volunteered to go to Afghan with the Marines at the time, but I didn't get sent. So we went to we went to the Olympics instead. Mm. Um, got deployed to the Olympics. Um, that was a little bit after my degree, actually. Sorry. Um, then I was just tooting around the NHS, doing my, you know, my rotations, and then uh, I got fed up with the NHS for particular reasons. It, it's not for everybody, I suppose. It's a, you know, it's a good system, but not for everybody. Um, and I went into the military, so I went into the army as a physio. Um, I just wanted to be in that environment, and I guess understanding it, it I knew I was going to enjoy the environment, um, but I just wanted to learn more from a physio point. And, you know, certainly some of the injuries you see within the military are injuries you're not going to see within normal civvy streets. Um, yeah, yeah. So 
I finished that, but my, my wife was pregnant with a second child, so I left and then joined Functional Intelligent Training. Yeah, I was going to say, you set up your own business. Did you think you were always going to go back into some sort of like that sport physio side of stuff? Was it always at the back of your mind that you were going to get into I that stopped, or not? I stopped thinking where my life was going a long time ago. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just you just, it just happens, just went through life and just things kept on happening. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's, the, that's the thing, when you put yourself in different, certain scenarios and you're doing stuff that you enjoy, you end up going down routes that, that you never really thought about anyway. So well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Brendan, I wouldn't have been here because Stu, uh, who's my business partner here, um, he was in the Marines with us and I oh, haven't right. touched, touched base with him for a while. So to Larry, who you met, and Stu's his uh, husband and wife, uh, I was walking down the street one day, bumping into him, haven't seen him for well, since uh, some, back in the Marines days, I suppose. And uh, he says, what are you doing? I went, looking for work, mate. Anyway, <laughs> follow me. We ended up on Gosford High Street having a, having, having a drink. And uh, I suppose the rest is history, yeah. God, <laughs> so, that's crazy, that, by the way. I know. That's what I mean. You've <sighs> got to take opportunities when they come, I suppose. So, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was yeah, a good no, one. Got, yeah, that's pretty, that is a pretty funny story, to be fair. But obviously, I worked with you a few times when I was... Um, Still playing full time football, few different injuries. You sorted my brother out as well because he had an ACL, ACL injury. I was struggling with everything, <laughs> knees, quad, quad, ankle. Yeah, which are pretty good. I know. So you've helped me obviously get back fit um, there. But we'll talk a little bit about the injury side for young athletes because you not only work obviously work with general population as well, but you're working with a lot of young athletes, especially at the the setup that you've got there. What have you yeah. found? Like in terms of young athletes, is there anything that you found has been beneficial for them to do to prevent them? I know you can't really say like how to prevent injuries because things can happen, tackles, um, things. Dramatic side of things you can't control. Yeah, you um, can't really control, but certain like little, little things that you think like young athletes can integrate in terms of their at a, at a younger age, say like start 11, 12 years old, to help them them long term. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good it's a good point, Brendan, because I think certainly when I was younger, um, the strength and conditioning component of performance was really looked over from a, a younger age because it was a belief that mm -hmm. it was bad for them just because of growth plates and everything else. Um, but actually what we know from the science now, there's been a big shift and a big change uh, where the strength and conditioning element, certainly from a junior point, is imperative and just as the demand of the sport increases, it's important that they, the the you know, the physicality of the um, the athlete, whether it be football or golf, or whatever it may be, that they're strong enough to endure and contend with it. Um, unless you will find those you know those niggles creeping in. Um, we have a we have a set up here where we I guess we've got the England golf uh, juniors here, so you know they're they're coming in from a very young age. We've got a few young dancers in. We've got uh, cyclists. We've got uh, junior football academy footballers to, from certain clubs training just to get the extra strength and conditioning in that they may not be getting also. Uh, um, you know, you know, we're not going heavy, heavy, but we are. You know, we're, we're basically following the fundamentals of what's required. Ooh, are you still there, mate? Uh, it's still on. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> the screen <just laughs> went off. <laughs> Everyone had a little break from you anyway. Battery left. That means I've been uh, talking no far too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's integrating the strength and conditioning component just to make sure that they're, they're durable enough and robust enough uh, to, to participate. Because you know what it's like, certainly in a young age, where you know they might be playing football 
on a, a Tuesday, a Saturday, a Sunday, then they might be playing cricket another day. And, you know, before they know the six days of the week they're playing a the sport, but actually there's no strength and conditioning going in to, to prepare themselves for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the biggest thing that I would be saying is is the game changer with them. Being wise yeah, with the think- training, rather than blasting it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think like investing in the strength conditioning kind of side of it at a young age is something that I'll, well, I kind of found that that sparked my interest into actually understanding my own body a little bit more. Like I started, I had a PT at probably like 12, 13 when I started struggling with my back and he helped me a lot with, with certain aspects. But I think there was a lot of things in terms of more movement and biomechanics and stuff like that, which I kind of wish that I learned a little bit more about when I was younger. And I think, especially if you're wanting to pursue a career as an athlete, if you know that that's like what you want to do, actually understanding understanding the things that you do in the gym and the, the injuries that you ha- might pick up and understanding actually what's going on is something I found, I think, would be very, very beneficial for a lot of things. So maybe like some sort of education for, for young people or anybody who's, any young athlete, athlete who's, um, who's listening. That's, that's what it is. It's a, learn. It's education, just, isn't it? Hundred percent. It's not just going into the gym and like lifting weights for the sake of it. And I think when some like there's a lot of footballers who don't like lifting weights or don't like doing certain movements for whatever reason because even like experienced ones because they've never done it in the past, like they don't like changing what don't which is fair enough. But I think when you're young and if you understand the reasons behind what you're doing and how it's going to benefit you on the pitch, or on the track, whatever it is on the, on the golf course, that can be very val- valuable. And obviously, moving forward, you yeah. can then. You might be periods where you're not going to have access to a physio, so you go away on like a tour somewhere or you go away on trial places. You might pick up little niggles and stuff like that, but then if you know how to manage them the best way you can, like the amount of times I've like went somewhere and picked up a little knock on my knee or my ankle's a little bit sore or I've slightly strained my back, whatever. If I know what to do, if I know the right stretches to do, if I know the right activation stuff before training to do, to then obviously help me and, and, and get me on the, on the pitch, then that's going to help you massively yeah. as well. Absolutely. So it's definitely, it, definitely it, worth. I think, I think there's that shift trending, isn't there, where you go, you've got to make that athlete reliable on themselves rather than reliable on the physio as well. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't just have them being reliable or relying on a physio or S and C coach all the time to fix them. Just plug my charger in, mate, because my phone. Don't worry, on. mate. We're, um, we'll wrap it up soon. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be sick um, of well, talking yeah, yeah. to us right now. No, it's it's it's. It, it comes back to understanding why again, doesn't it? You know, you're always asking yourself why, why are you doing something, whether it be physical or mental, or why are you feeling the way you are, etc. If you don't mm-hmm. ask the questions why, then you're not really learning, I suppose, as to mm-hmm. to, to what what how to develop. Yeah, exactly. I think, like I said, if it's going to be your career, it's a hundred percent something that's worth worth investing. Yeah. So if anybody's in the Newcastle area, can hit call up. But hundred percent, definitely to leave you the setup that they've got a. Down at um, near the region, well, it is in the region centre. To be fair, functional intelligent training. I'll link everything in the um, in the show notes so they can your Instagram websites and everything like that. But it's something massively worth investing in. The setup you've got is very professional, and everybody there knows what they're doing. It's quite a nice gym to be fair. I quite like training there. It was probably about a good year or two ago. I think the last time I was there, it's the quite I quite like it. When it was a bit quiet, I used to come in at eight o'clock. I used to obviously do my two sessions a week. That was like guided, and I used to come in at eight o'clock and do me little bits and bobs on my own. It's quite a very nice setup. But we'll wrap up with the um, the final three questions. Did you get a chance to look at them? The little Q and A bit at the end. I, I I looked at them quickly, mate. I was like, who would you like to have dinner with? 
Yeah, that's the, that, don't don't spoil it for everyone, just because the people might have been listening for the first time. Don't spoil it, but that's the first question. Three people that you would like to invite round for for dinner or go out for a coffee with, past or present, anybody. Three people would be Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama, and Peter Schmeichel. Like that, Schmeichel still yeah was he uh, your idol when you Friends, were younger? He, I don't care what that you know. There's, there's the German goalkeeper. Was it Emmanuel Neuer? He, he, yeah. He's good, but I, th I still think Schmeichel is the pinnacle of... He, he is the greatest goalkeeper, he, as far as I'm concerned. He's like the original modern-day goalkeeper, I'd say. We're just like ah, the, the old starfish and everything mega. like that. Baggy baggy T-shirt. I used to like the baggy top. I think I think Neuer's kind of like almost... It is like kind of the uh, modern-day transition into him, but like you said, Schmeichel's the, the original. Um, yeah, he, 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 he was far. just... He, I, I don't think... I think because he was brave as well. Like I don't think some goalkeeper, I, I guess footballers in general roll around on the floor over some drives and they have to be bonkers. But mm -hmm. you know that wouldn't have been happening in the day. Would it? Would have been you know Schmeichel would have just been come blasting through every single person and then yeah. cracking on. That wouldn't have been an issue. But uh, yeah, that's he's, the alpha male the side coming out. Isn't it? That's the alpha male. There it is. There it is. That's why you should have played rugby, man. Never mind football. <laughs> Footballs are a bunch of puffs on there anyway, compared to these rugby lads. No comment, no comment. Any... Change. <laughs> Slightly. Anyway, next question. Three people that you want to train with. So this could be, like I said, football or it could be in the gym. Anything. I'll take I'll take them through a little Marines course, anything like that. Uh, some people are laugh when I say this. I really enjoy watching Ant Middleton on the TV on the SCS who, who does wins. I just enjoy yeah. his crack. Like, he's just straight down the line with it. Yeah. Uh, so he would be one just for the banter, I suppose. Um, the, I don't know what kind of training I would get out of uh, Morgan Freeman, but there's just something about him I really enjoy. Like, I wonder, <laughs> see what his gym routine is. That would be decent. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a surprise one to be fair for a train I like yeah. that I like that though I like that and then uh, Megan Fox for the obvious reasons uh, is that the crush I hope your missus yeah. is watching <laughs> yeah, no she's very well aware she's called Megan as well isn't she so oh well fair enough yeah. fair enough then well, I'm going to have to set off for a different one <laughs> yeah <laughs> never mind right last question then one thing that you would say to yourself five years ago, you could even we could even say ten years ago. I tell you, we'll go ten years ago. Uh, I would be saying a lot of different things, man. But I think the, yeah. the biggest thing I would be telling myself is to believe in yourself a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, for the reasons that you know, certainly from the footballing days, I guess if if you don't believe in yourself, then why is there any reason for anybody else to? Um, is the first one because it's a, it can be a bit of a brutal environment, I suppose. Yeah. No, it is. But, it is like if you don't have that confidence in yourself, like you said, like you, you you're not going to expect anything anything good to happen. And I think a lot of the the top top athletes, footballers, businessmen, whoever in whatever industry, they have that sort of. It's almost like an ego that they know that they're, they're the best. They I might not actually be the best. Oh, you've got it. Yeah, hundred percent. You've got to be. You've got to have yeah, that, like, yeah, I'm the best one here. I don't, I don't, disagree, with that at all. I don't mm -hmm. disagree with that at all. But it's, uh, you know, yeah, I think it's one of those things where you either got it or you don't, though, isn't it? And it's a, it's, a, it's one of those where, you know, you, you, it's just a big learning curve. Yeah, no, just 
it, the, the more that you can kind of learn about mindset in, in terms of your psychology when you're younger as well, the better. I think like it's took me yeah. until I was probably, what am I, 23, and probably like even like, maybe last year I started getting into it a little bit more, yeah. like actually understanding a little bit more about my mindset. And it has helped me massively like with other aspects of my life, not just like performance on, on the field and stuff like that. So yeah. definitely, definitely I'd worth about 100%. But it, took, but, it, took, it took me a while to, to acknowledge it, mate. And I think, you know, you, it's not just the understanding yourself as a person, but then, the, you know, there's... I've known quite, quite a few of my friends that... Well, I'm saying friends, we lads I played football with when I was at the club. I don't speak to them so much these days, but they've had their own personal struggles coming to terms with just the fact that they're not playing football anymore. Mm. Um, and you've got to be prepared for the highs and just as prepared for the lows, because no matter how well you do, at some point it's going to come to an end. You know, whether mm -hmm. it's very early on in your career or at the end of a very successful career, it's going to come to an end and it's just being in a stable enough position to to deal with that. Yeah. I know like the football football is one of the most like in fact sport in general is one of the most mentally challenging things ever. And I don't think a lot of people realise it. And like we've talked about the yeah. highs and lows. Like it's always about don't let the highs get too high because if you do then them lows are gonna the lows absolutely get lower, kill you. The lows get even worse. So just trying to keep a level, level head the whole level time. Level playing field. Level playing field, and just keep your keep your head down, and just focus on yourself, and don't don't worry about what other. A lot of time, don't worry about what other people are doing as well. Don't compare yourself to yeah. others because that's another thing. That's when a, I, that's I, an important one, that. Yeah, because they obviously we've both been at Newcastle. And there's probably lads that we've played with who have went on to like achieve amazing things. Like for example, for me, like Sean Longstaff, um, a few lads, Dan Balasta playing in the playing in the Premier League. And I'm obviously, yeah. I, I can't compare myself to that because we've been on di different paths, different journeys and stuff. But it is easy to compare yourself to, to people of similar similar age and what they've been through as yeah. well. So, spot on, mate. I will leave your um, I will leave um, everything, your show notes, everything in the, the bio. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. Okay, buddy. Thank Cheers, you very buddy. much. Take it easy, Brandon. Cheers, mate. Bye. So thank you very much if you listen to this full episode. Apologies for the bit of static, whatever noise was in the background. I think my computer, my laptop's fan was going off it during that, doing that podcast. But hopefully it was still okay quality and you enjoyed it. So as always, like I said at the start podcast, if you did enjoy this episode, remember to share it on your Instagram story. Tag myself and Carl in the in the story or even messages let us know what you thought about it if there's any questions you want to ask us or if you want to get in touch with carl get in touch with him as always like i said i'll leave all his information his website his instagram all his social media in the show notes or in the description below so thank you very much for listening this has been process <laughs>